Good morning. My name is Mario. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we started a series last week called Open House, and this is part two. And it is exactly what it sounds like, which is sort of like a peek inside of Good News Church. We wanted to um, talk about this for the month of January, the series. And the reason we're doing it um, is for you to sort of be able to see what we're all about. And, and we're doing that for a couple of reasons. One is because we think that it's important that we be reminded, especially those of you who've been coming to church here for nine years or seven years or however long it's been, that you've been coming to our church. I think it's important for you to be reminded because of what we said last week. Those of you who were here the last week, remember what we talked about? The fact that mission drift is so easy, that it's, it's so easy for a group of people or an organization or whoever to say like, this is what we're all about. This is what we're going to focus on. And then for some years to go by, and then you just sort of forget what it was that you were all about, and you forget what the mission was, and you forget what it was that you were planning on focusing on. And so we think that every once in a while, we just need to be reminded so that we can get back on track. Um, and then the other reason we are doing this is, I would guess that there are a lot of you here who are pretty new, um, a ton of you, in fact, um, probably more so than has ever been in the history of our church. We, we were like a normal church for the first nine years. It was all stable and fine, and then COVID came, and and then things were crazy, and then now things are getting back to normal now. But I would say probably maybe almost half of you, maybe 40 to 50% of you, um, you have started coming since COVID. And so I would say most of our church, um, or, or a pretty decent-sized chunk of our church, you've been coming here for three years or two years or one year or even less than that. And so for some of you, this might not be a reminder. This is going to be the first time you hear about it, and that's good. I'm glad you've been coming here for six months or one year or two years or whatever it is. But you definitely need to know what we're all about. You need to know what, we're in, like, what it is you're getting involved in. And so my hope in explaining the mission and the values of Good News Church is that you would react to it. And I would say there's, there's at least three reactions that could happen. And so I want to talk about them, I, especially I'm going to rank them. I want to tell you the one I'm most excited about that I hope happens. I'll tell you the one that I'm okay with, the second option, and then the one that's like, mm, please don't do this. Okay, so here they are. Number one, my, my hope is that the majority of you will hear about the mission and values of Good News Church and your reaction will be, I'm in. Like, I'm going to jump in. I want to partner with you all in particular to do God's mission here in this place at this church. That's what I hope happens to the majority of you. Um, you find out you're, it's a perfect fit and you jump in. Um, the other, the second option that I'm not as excited about, but it's perfectly acceptable and even good, is that you find out that you're not a good fit. And so you leave here and you go find a church that is a good fit for you and you get involved there and you serve God in that other place well. That is also a good thing. The third option, and this is the least desirable in my opinion, would be that if you're, you're a new person, you showed up, you're kind of looking around, you hear about the mission and values of Good News Church, and you stay, but you just stay a spectator. You just kind of watch everybody else do the mission of the church. To me, that would be the worst thing. So I hope that upon hearing this, especially those of you who are new, you will say, I am in, I commit, I want to be a part of this church doing it this way. Or again, I, personally, I think it's better for you to leave here and go and really be involved in some other church than physically be here and not be involved in this one. Does that make sense? Okay, good. One person thinks it makes sense. I'm hoping the rest of you, by the end of the sermon, will get it because it's really important. Okay, so uh, last week we talked about the mission of Good News Church. Um, this week we're going to talk about the values of Good News Church. Now, what's the difference between the mission of the church and the values? The mission of the church is what? we do. The values of our church shape how we do it. So last week we talked about love God, love each other, love people who don't know God yet. That's the what. But then what, what, is it, what are the things that we value that shape how we do that? Because you could have two different groups of people or, or two organizations that have the same mission, 
But if they have two different sets of values, they will do their mission differently. In fact, go ahead and imagine this. Imagine two different organizations with the same mission statement. Organization number one, their mission statement is, we exist to reduce the number of unwanted pregnancies. And imagine organization number two says, we exist to reduce the number of unwanted pregnancies. But imagine organization number one greatly values abstinence education and moral teaching and promoting sex within marriage. And imagine organization number two greatly values contraceptives and access to abortion. You'd have these two organizations that exist for the same mission, but they would do it entirely differently, wouldn't they? So it matters what you're trying to do. It also matters what you value along the way, because that's going to shape how you do what you do. So last week, like I said, we talked about the mission of Good News Church. Let's hope that you, that you can get it. We exist to bring glory to God by doing three things. What are they? Love God. Love each other. Love people who don't know God yet. Very good. Very good. Um, so today we cover the values that shape how we do that mission. And I, we're going to cover some of the values that shape how we do that mission. There's no way in a sermon that I could cover all of the values of our church. I'm sure there are many, many things that we find to be valuable as a church. But we boiled it down, for the, at least for the purposes of this sermon, we chose six of the big ones to explain to you. Six values that are very influential to how we accomplish our mission and figure you should know these at a minimum. Okay, so here they are. Six values of Good News Church. Number one, gospel centrality. Number two, Christian community. Number three, consideration for outsiders. Number four, simplicity. Number five, that every member is a minister. And number six, going from lost to leader. These are six things that we greatly value here at this church, talk about them a lot, assume them to be true, and then live out these things. And so I wanted to explain them to you this morning. Um, this sermon is going to be a little bit more like a seminar and less like a traditional sermon here. A traditional sermon at Good News Church, just so you know, like our typical sermon, um, we explain a passage of Scripture. That's what we do almost every week of the year. We get up here, we open this book, we explain a passage of Scripture. Some weeks we explain multiple passages of Scripture. But this morning, my primary goal is actually not to explain a passage of Scripture, it's to explain these six things. I'm going to teach you Bible verses as we do it, but I want to primarily teach you these six concepts and why it is that we value them. So, here we go. Start off with the first one, gospel centrality. If you go onto our website, or if you're ever to take the class that we do here called Intro to Good News, or even if you're paying attention really closely um, when you walked in, because there were slides on the screen, this is the way we phrase it. Gospel centrality. In order to properly relate to God, we must understand that the central message of the Bible is the gospel. We believe this message can basically be summed up in words like these from the Apostle Paul, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Turning from sin to Christ and trusting in his death and resurrection is the only way to escape the penalty of sin and have true, good, eternal life change. Since this is the central message of the Bible, we want it to be the central message of Good News Church. So what do we mean by the central message of the Bible? How do you know what the central message of the Bible is? You mean you just try to open it up to the very middle page? Like, how do you know what the central message is? And so I wanted to illustrate it for you. This is, I didn't really make this up. I heard a version of this when I was in my 20s. I thought it was a very helpful way to think about it. So I'm going to give you uh, three truths from the Bible. They're going to come up here on the screen, okay? All three of these things are from the Bible. A, Paul went to Philippi before he went to Rome, okay? That sentence is true. Um, he actually went to Philippi, I think, a few times before he ever went to Rome the first time. And this can be confirmed by reading the book of Acts, in particular Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 28. Okay, number two. An omer is a measurement that is one-tenth of the size of an ephah. 
You can know that by reading Exodus 16. In fact, I believe it's the last verse of Exodus 16. So if you have an ephah, you have 10 omers. Isn't that fantastic? Okay. Here's the third one. Jesus died for our sins and was raised. You are saved if you hold to this message. That's a paraphrase of a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, this is what I think is important for you to understand. All three of these sentences are equally true, right? Because they're all 100% true. All three of these sentences are equally biblical, right? Because they're all from the Bible. But only one of these is connected to your eternal salvation. Two of these sentences, you could never become aware of them in your whole life and die and be okay. But one of them, it would not be okay if you didn't know. You see what I'm saying? So even though they're equally true and they're equally biblical, it's, it's, it's safe to say one of these truths is more important. It is more central. It is to be emphasized more. And so we want to recognize that and make sure that the gospel is central to our church. If you ever see a church where, um, I don't know, I just feel like sometimes churches that go off course or diminish in their effectiveness or even like, like way go off the rails, it seems to me most of the time that doesn't happen because they just one day get up and start teaching falsehood. I mean, I'm sure that happens. Sometimes churches teach falsehood. But I don't think that's the main thing. I think what happens is making a big deal out of little things and making a little deal out of the major things. That really gets a church off course. And so if you have a church somewhere that, let's just say, um, that they proclaim the gospel one time every year, and then 51 weeks a year, they talk about like parenting skills and the importance of raising your children right and being good parents. What you could end up with is a church that never says any false things and yet is so out of balance that it's almost not even doing God's will anymore, right? Even though they're not saying anything false, there'd be a huge problem if you just 51 weeks of the year, you went parenting skills and one week of the year you said, oh, the gospel. No, the gospel must be the central message of the church. So that's the first value we think is so important. Here's the second one. Christian community. Here's how we say it. In order to properly relate to God, we must understand that the central message... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Same one. Uh, Christian community. Good News Church... It's felt so familiar. Um, <clears throat> Good News Church views the Christian life as a team sport. God didn't intend for us to live the Christian life alone. This means that we encourage people to live their lives before God, not only as individuals, but also as a group. There are too many commands in the Bible, such as love each other, forgive each other, encourage each other, that simply cannot be obeyed as individuals who are disconnected from other Christians. There are so many passages in the Bible, New Testament in particular, so many passages where there are commands and you can just tell it's given to a group of people, right? There are so many commands in the Bible that are given um, and it just, the, the scripture just assumes that we're on a team, and so if someone were to say something like, well, I want to be a good Christian, I just want to do it like disconnected from other Christians, right? Can you imagine that? That's not a thing. Like, that's not how it works. We can't be, oh, I just want to have just me and Jesus. Jesus loves me. I love Jesus. And I just want to do this Christian thing that he's called me to separate from all the other people. No, because in his word, over and over again, he gives the commands to a group of people to do all together. In fact, that group of people is called the church. And I think maybe... We are sometimes messed up on our definition of the word church, and maybe that really helps us into thinking of things in a way that we shouldn't, like not thinking of Christians as a community of people. So what I want to do is explain to you sort of the biblical definition of the word church, the way that church is used in the Bible. 
The word church in an English Bible is a translation of the word ecclesia. So if you have a Bible that's translated into English, you're going to notice all throughout the New Testament, there's this word that's going to appear. It's the word church. And almost every single time the word church appears, it is a English translation of this word right here, ecclesia. Ecclesia in uh, the original Greek was, is a word that meant the called out ones. So I guess you have like a group of people and then you have a group of people that are called out from the rest. And that assembly of people is the ecclesia. Um, in the Bible, almost every time this word is used, where it talks about this group of called out ones, this assembly of people or this congregation of people, every time this word ecclesia is used, it almost is always describing an assembly of Christians. Like almost every, almost every single time. Ecclesia means a gathering of Christians or an assembly of Christians. And so that's why it's translated into the word church. Um, however, I don't think it always is. In fact, I know for sure there's one place in the book of Acts where Luke uses this word, and it makes me think that maybe this word wasn't specifically just a religious word back then. That ecclesia was a word that meant the ones that were called out for a gathering. And so in Luke, oh, I can't remember. I mean, the book of Acts, there's a point where there's these people, they're not Christians, but they're all assembled together for a purpose. And this is the word that Luke uses to describe them. I think it's translated assembly instead of church in most modern translations. It's the same word. Like it's a group of people, right? And it's just the ecclesia. But when that group of people are Christians, it's usually translated church. So what is a church? It's people. It's, a, it's an assembly of people. That's what a church is. Now, when you think about how the Bible describes the word church, right? Like this, this group of humans, right? This group of people, these Christians here. Now let's go ahead and compare that to the way that like sort of Hollywood presents churches. I want to describe for you the classic like Hollywood church scene. If you ever watch like a movie or TV show, I've noticed it over and over again. I bet you you have too. I've watched enough movies, enough TV shows that I think I can describe something for you that you all have seen over and over and over again. Okay, this is what it is. The classic church scene in every TV show or movie almost is this. Uh, main character is going through some sort of like moral or emotional crisis. Main character is walking around and comes across a stone building with stained glass grabs the door and opens the door. Okay, now this is, there's no services going on. It's like in the middle of the week, right? But the, for, the door is inexplicably unlocked always in every show. And they walk into this empty auditorium, right? There they are. There's nobody there. Pastor's not there. The air condition is going. The lights are all on. It makes no sense. It's nothing like real life. You show up here on a Tuesday and just try to open the door. You'll, that'll be fun. So, but, but anyway, but, but on TV, the door's always unlocked and you go in and there's this empty, well-lit, you know, heated and air-conditioned room and the person walks into this empty room and sits down on a pew. And then they lean their head on the pew in front of them and they cry out to God. It might even be that the character wasn't very religious or spiritual up to this point, but, but they, they're at the end of their rope, and so they lean against the, the pew in front of them, and they cry out to God asking him to help. And then typically at that point, depending on the script, something special happens. Something changes, a revelation happens, some, something happens. How'd I do? Is that it? Have you seen it? Right? That's the classic church scene on TV. Now here's what's weird about that. There was no church in that scene at all. Because the building was empty, right? The, the church is the ecclesia. It's the assembly of the people. The classic church scene on TV, it, it has no church in it at all because the building was empty and the people that are inside the building, that's the church. So we can't, like, we as Christians should not go to a particular building on Sundays week after week after week, but not get involved with any of the other humans that are there and think, oh, I was a part of a church. No, the other people are the church. You just went into the building that they use, right? Or if someone were to say, I like my church, I just don't like the other people that are there. Like, could you picture someone saying that, right? I like my church, I just don't like the other people. They're kind of annoying. 
okay, that's fine. But what, I, what that shows me is you don't know what a church is. Like the, the, the annoying people, they are the church. Like you don't like your church actually because they, they're it, right? And those people, annoying or not, are the people, plural people, that a mission has been given to for them to all accomplish as a team, as a group project. So that's what we mean by Christian community. All right, number three, consideration for outsiders. Consideration for outsiders. This is a very valuable thing to us around here. I'll just read it to you the way we wrote it. This is one reason why our services have upbeat music, a casual atmosphere, and relevant messages. We want to show consideration to people who are unfamiliar with church. We figure that we shouldn't say something like, I'm so glad I've been washed in the blood of the lamb without explaining what that means. By the way, if you didn't already know, it means we are glad that we've been forgiven because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross. This just seems considerate toward people who haven't learned Christianese yet. One of our goals is to never seem unnecessarily creepy to non-church people. <laughs> it's on our website. <laughs> we don't want to, I mean, could you can imagine, it could be, you could be unnecessarily creepy. Well, we're bathing in the blood, we're, you know, we've got blood all over us, you know, and it's like, whoa. I, why, do I, why am I getting up for this? And then and not only could it be creepy, I, I, we also want to be understandable. There have been times in my life that I've seen this, I mean, over and over again, you probably have too, where a preacher gets up or a Sunday school teacher gets up and they get in front of a group of people and they say something like, uh, today we're going to talk about the doctrinal emphases of the Pauline epistles. And, and there will be different reactions. There's going to be somebody that's going to be there and they're going to hear that and they're going to go, mm, yes, yes doctrinal emphases of the Pauline epistles, yes and amen. And then there's going to be someone else that's sitting there and they're going to turn to their friend and go, I'm not going to understand any of this, am I? Right? I have a friend who's a Christian now and he didn't used to be a Christian. I mean, I, that's true of every Christian I know now that I think about it. <laughs> but, because, um, you know, you're not born one. But, but he's, he's a friend of mine and I was talking to him as he was a Christian. I was talking to him, Christian him. And he was telling me about back before he was a Christian. And, um, and so he said his next door neighbor invited him to church. He'd never been to church. I think as an adult, he'd never gone. And so his next door neighbor said, will you come to church? Sure, I will. He showed up. And I said, what was it like? So he was telling me what it, the service was like. And he said that the pastor that morning talked about a topic that was um, like, it's a very controversial topic within Christianity. Okay, like a, the kind of topic that Christians debate about and sometimes stop being friends over. And so that was the topic that came up. And I said to him, I said, whoa, so the very first time you ever like went to a church gathering ever, like that was the first thing you ever heard about. And he said, yeah. And I said, like, so like, were you, were you offended? Like, what was that like? And he said, no, I wasn't offended. He said, the whole thing went right over my head. And I said, what? He said, I didn't understand what they were talking about. I said, wait, the whole thing, like 30 minutes of talking, you didn't understand anything he said? That's correct. I didn't know anything that I was talking about. And I said, and you came back a second time? And he said, yes, which I'm like, well... If, the, that, if there's not evidence the Holy Spirit exists, that's it right there. Because I, I, I mean, I, I can tell you, it's, so, so he, he went back a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And in fact, he, became, he came to understand the gospel and he became a Christian while being a part of that church. And that is fantastic. And I praise God for that. But I just feel like that doesn't happen every time. I can tell you for me, if I went to a place where there was just 30 minutes of bewilderment, like there's no way I'm coming back for a second dose of that. And so I'm really happy it worked out with my friend, but it just is discouraging to me the number of preachers who do not take time to like look at their sermon and think about it from the point of view of a new person who is unfamiliar with Christianity. 
And this is not just about sermons. When I say consideration for outsiders, I'm using sermons as an illustration because that's something I'm very familiar with. But this would apply to other areas other than sermons. This would be thinking through the website of the church from the point of view of someone who's an outsider. This would maybe mean setting a culture where you don't have to wear a certain set of special clothes in order to be, like, feel comfortable and welcomed into the building. This would be not picking songs that all sound like they were written in the 1700s or some like, similarly foreign culture. Um, this would apply to children's ministry and the greeters and what you write on brochures and private conversations that people have. Like we want to care about people who are outsiders to the Christian faith and do things that are winsome and understandable and helpful to them. Amen? All right, number four, simplicity. Um, we talk a bit about this sometimes where we say we're a simple church. I'll read to you the way we have it written out first. Anytime you have a church with lots of people lots of preferences, lots of good ideas, and lots of, then you have lots of potential directions to go in. That is why most churches naturally gravitate toward complexity and not simplicity. The problem is that it is almost impossible to do lots of things excellently at the same time. Valuing simplicity means we will have to say no to some genuinely good ideas in order to focus on a small number of things that we have decided to do with excellence. Now, that is the way we said it when we first started this church, and I still believe that. But I feel like in the meantime, I've come up with better ways to explain this. And in fact, I have a way that will involve me drawing something. But I, I want to explain it to you because about, I don't know, six or seven years into doing this church, it, it dawned on me that there is a sense in which we are a simple church trying to just do a few things well. And there is a sense in which we're a very complex church. Because anytime you grow to be like five or six hundred people, like you just, that, you can't be simple anymore. Um, you, you're going to be complex just in the sense that you're made up of a whole bunch of parts. And so I realized there's a sense in which we're simple, there's a sense in which we're complex, and I need to explain that so that people know what it is we're going for and what it is we do. In order to do that, though, I need to give you some definitions of the word church. Um, we'll start with the one we've already used. Um, what do I have to do? Press the pen button? All right. So one definition of the word church, um, and this is the one that's kind of like what I already called the Bible definition, is the church is the people. Sometimes when we use the word church, we're referring to the people of the church. There's another way in which we use the, church, the word church, though. Here, at, here, here, and really all over this country. A lot of times people will use the word church to refer to an organization. That's fine, as long as we know what we're all talking about. Um, when people say things like, I want to donate money to Good News Church, I know that they don't mean that they want to give money and distribute it to all the people right? Like, let's just, I want to, I want to, when they say I want to donate money to Goodness Church, they don't plan on showing up here with bills and just, you know, look what I did, right? They're giving it to a particular organization to be used um, for a particular mission. So let me go ahead and show it to you in, uh, with visuals. So let's just say this represents the organization. And then this represents the people. So the, all of the like individual people who are part of the church. Um, I could draw stick figures, but that's going to take a long time. So you're just going to have to imagine circles are people. Okay, can you do it? Okay, I'm proud of you. All right, so here we are. So circles are people. So this is, the church is the people. Here are all the individual people, but there's an organization where we do, there's certain things that we all come together and we all do at the same time. We're in one of those moments right now. Okay, so this is what I realized. When I say we're a simple church, I mean, we, as an organization, we try to be simple. There is no way for this to be simple. All right, that doesn't happen. All right. When you have, especially now, as the church has grown, when you have like 500 people, we have more than that now, but when you have 500 people, that's 500 different personalities, 
500 different backgrounds and experiences and preferences and like ministries and ways that people are wired and way that people care and different passions that people have. And there's just no way to have all those different people and then say, well, that's simple, right? It's not. Like, okay, this is what I mean by simple. A, a mousetrap is considered a simple device because it's made up of six or seven parts. A BMW is considered not a simple device because it's made up of thousands of parts. Our church is made up of 500 parts now called humans, right? So there's no, once something is made up of 500 individual parts, there is no way for it to be simple anymore. All of the different parts are doing different things. So when we think about the church as the people, there's going to be a lot of different ministries and a lot of different directions that we go in. You can imagine, let's say, uh, let's say this lady right here. Let's say that she, at one point in her life earlier on, she got an abortion and it was something that was like sort of this life-defining, like life-altering thing for her. And now that she's a Christian, she just feels very called to minister to other ladies who are in the midst of like crisis pregnancies. So that's just, that's a concern of hers. That's the kind of ministry she wants to do. It's the way she wants to serve Jesus. I want to help people that were in the situation that I was in, okay? So you have that. But then it might be that this guy right here almost never even thinks about that. Never thinking about pregnancies, never thinking about abortions, right? This is a guy, let's just say this guy works at his job. He's an IT guy. And he just wants the people that he works with in his office to know Jesus. And so he wants to share the gospel with people. He hardly ever thinks about pregnancies. He's just thinking about these people who don't know Jesus. How can I share the gospel with them? And then imagine uh, this lady right here. Let's say she's got like, I don't know, six kids and she's homeschooling all of them. And it's taking a lot of her time up. And when she thinks about the ways in which she's serving God, quite a bit of her time is discipling her own children, raising her children up to love Jesus. And that's just three people. Like you could go on and explain like 497 other types of people, right? Because all those people I just made up are real, okay? <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't make them up because they're real. But I mean, those are all descriptions of real people. And you could just keep going and describe all the different people. But once you've described all the different people, you'd realize, oh, wow, well, our church is involved in 500 ministries, right? In fact, most people don't just do one thing to serve the Lord. You would realize, wow, a church of our size is involved in thousands of ministries. So there's nothing simple about that. So then what do we mean by we're a simple church? Aha, as an organization, this thing right here, how many things that we all do together? We do not try to organize everybody to do all of their ministries together. We do not organize all of the people to help this lady with the crisis pregnancy centers. We do not organize all of these people to evangelize this guy's office. We do not organize all of these people to homeschool this lady's children, right? As an organization, we just do a few things as a group, and we try to do those few things well. I would say there's probably, depending on how you categorize it, just three things that we do. Good News Church does three things. We do Sunday morning services. You're in that right now. We have a small group program where people meet in smaller groups, and I alluded to this last week, right, where people meet in smaller groups in order to do things that cannot be accomplished in a group this size. And we have a camp for kids that are in foster care that we do in the summer. It's sort of our church mission trip. In fact, it's sort of two camps now. We've got one for elementary kids and one for middle school and high school kids that are in foster care. And that's it. Like we just try to do those things well. I mean, you can name some other stuff, but most of the other stuff falls into those categories. I mean, we have Kids Zone. That's a ministry of this church, but that's part of Sunday morning services. We have a youth Bible study at this church, but that's really part of the small groups. In fact, they even break down into group, small groups when they're here for youth Bible study. Like most everything we do falls into those categories. We just do three things. And we try to do those three things well. Well, what about all the other stuff that has to be done? Oh yeah, God has given us so many parts that all do their thing. 
And we pray that we are able to, as a group, do what we need to do as a group, and then as individuals, do what we need to do as individuals. That's what we mean by simple church. All right, number five, that every member is a minister. We value this belief that every member is a minister. Um, Let me read it to you. No church can function properly when it views one person or a select few people as the people who do ministry. We believe every Christian is an important part of the body and that he or she must serve everyone else. And we think you can tell when a church really gets going good by noticing how many people come for the sake of the other people in the church versus how many come for what they can get out of church themselves. For this, I'm going to, need to, I'm going to have to switch to just old-fashioned preaching. I've got to show you this. Okay, so this is Ephesians chapter 4. I want to teach this to you. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm just going to teach you verses 11 and 12. But if you have not been taught these verses before or haven't read them before, this is like game-changer stuff right here. These Bible verses, if you don't know them, like it's going to be revolutionary. It's going to change the way that you view church and ministry. Ephesians 4 verses 11 and 12 says this. It says, And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So in verse 11, it says, and he personally gave. Who's the he? Anybody want to guess? Yeah, yeah, Jesus is actually, if you looked in it, Jesus is the specific noun that comes just before this. So, and Jesus personally gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So, So Jesus has gifted to the church what? some people. Jesus has taken some people and he has given them, he has gifted them to the church. Who are these people? So in the verse that, it's, that are used, it's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. There's a lot that you could say about this, but for now, just let me simplify and say what this verse is saying is Jesus has given as a gift to his church leaders. Okay, those are all names of leaders in the church. So Jesus has given to the church leaders. Now, what are the leaders supposed to do, according to the verse? The the reason Jesus gave the leaders to the church is for the training of someone. Someone's supposed to get trained. Who is supposed to get trained? The saints. What are they supposed to get trained for? The work of ministry. So who's supposed to do ministry, according to the verse? Saints. Who's supposed to help them do the ministry? The leaders of the church are supposed to equip them or train the saints to do the work of ministry. Well, now we've got to understand what does this word mean? What is saints? Who are, if that's who's supposed to be doing ministry, who, who are the saints? Because we often use the word saint to mean super Christian. Do you agree with that? Right? Oh, I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm no saint. Right? Or, oh, she's such a saint. Right? We use the word saint to mean super Christian. And I would say maybe even more often than that, some of us use the word saint to mean dead Christian, like dead super Christian, okay? Or super dead Christian, however you want to do it. <laughs> But like, it's like St. Anthony and St. Teresa and whatever. That's what the saints are, right? So these are these super Christians that are dead. Is that what the word means here? No, you can tell. The context is very obvious. First of all, these are not the super top most elite Christians. They're, they're not even the leaders of the church. The leaders are supposed to train them, right? And they're not dead because you don't train dead people, right? I never have. I bet you none of you have either, right? You don't train dead people. So who are the saints? Well, what you'll see is that's the word for regular normal Christian, I mean, the word means holy one, which is why a lot of us go like, mm, I'm not a saint, right? Because the word means a holy one. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and you were forgiven, guess what you became? A holy one. Like the people who believe in Jesus have become the holy ones, right? 
And so this is referring to believers in Jesus Christ. He set them apart as holy. The leaders in the church are supposed to take the regular people who believe in Jesus and have been forgiven of their sins and supposed to train them to do ministry. That's so different than most, at least what I've seen in most of my life in churches, that there's a guy called the minister and he does the ministry and we all watch him do the ministry and go, hmm, good job. Or sometimes, hmm, but, but, but it's, it's, it's a mostly a spectator thing where one guy's trying to be a minister and we look and go, wait, no, apparently that dude's supposed to be training other people to do the ministry. So there is a difference in this verse between the leaders and like the people who follow them. So it's not like this is, there's, no, there's no difference between leaders and regular Christians in the church. Clearly the passage says that. Um, so every member is a minister when we say that. That does not mean like every single person that's here is the pastor of the church, right? It does not mean there's no differentiation. There's clearly a differentiation between the leaders and the saints here. But I want you to notice what the difference is between them. Because the difference between the leaders and the saints here is not that the leaders do ministry and the saints receive ministry. That's not what it says. No, the leaders are ministers, and one of their primary ministries is getting the rest of the people to be ministers. My sermons at this church are not the ministry of Good News Church given to you so you may receive it as a customer, right? Christian teaching is supposed to change you so that you go and serve God and you build up other people in the body of Christ. All right, final value. From going from lost to leader. Um, I'll, for this one, I'll have to tell you a story. Once upon a time, I lived in Texas, and I was talking with a friend of mine who was one of the elders of the church. And he was describing um, different types of churches, particularly different types of churches that were in the town that we lived in. And he said, it seems to him that there's this one type of church um, that is really good at helping people with like the initial first steps of Christianity. So you have some churches in town that they're really good at taking someone who's not a Christian and sort of helping them become a Christian. And in fact, t- taking someone who's like a newborn Christian and even helping them become like a toddler Christian. Like not only they're good at turning non-Christians into Christians and even turning Christians into people who know the basics. They teach them how to pray, teach them how to read their Bible and understand their Bible. And then that's it. They said the churches kind of specialize in that part. And if the person grows towards some level of maturity and then they go, okay, well, what's next? It's like, well, there's other stuff, but like there's other people that, that are not Christians. And so we got to turn those non-Christians into Christians and teach them how to pray and teach them how to read their Bibles. And then what? Well, then we go and we find some more non-Christians and we turn them into Christians and we teach them how to pray and read their Bibles. And then what? Well, that's it. That's what we do. And so sometimes a person in a church like that's like, well, thank you so much for telling me about Jesus. However, I sort of feel like I need, I need something more. Have you ever seen this before? Okay, but then he said there's another type of church in our town. He said the other type of church is a church that you, when, if you're already like a teenager Christian, you show up and they will help you to become even more mature. And they're not particularly good at evangelism. They're not particularly good at helping someone who's not a Christian become a Christian. But if you walk in the door already knowing how to pray and already knowing how to understand your Bible and already know, you already love Jesus, they will help you take the next steps and help you understand deeper truths in the faith, and help you understand how to like, take other people under your wing and disciple other people. And so, as he described these two types of churches, ever kind of since then, I've thought of it this way. So this is what I, how I draw it out usually. The first church he describes is like a church that has just the bottom three rungs on the ladder only. And then the second church that he described is a church that has the top three rungs on the ladder only. 
right? So person can come, they become a Christian, they learn the basics, and then he kind of made it sound like this is a good system. Like, isn't it great how God has blessed our town? Because the people come in, they come to know Jesus, and then once they get to here, like, whoop, they can transfer over to this church and go the rest of the way. But it seems to me there is a problem with this. First of all, there's a reason they don't design ladders like this, right? Because this one doesn't take you all the way up. And if you're short, you can't even reach the bottom rung of this one. What good is that? And so at some point, I thought to myself, why don't we just become a church like this? Like, why don't we just be a church that has all the rungs on the ladder? And so that's the goal. The starting point for discipleship is pagan. And the ending point is fully devoted minister, not necessarily a pastor. We just mean someone who serves God with their life. In other words, we believe that we must try to move people from lost to leader. This means that simply helping someone to become a Christian is not the end goal. We must disciple them to maturity. This is what we're going for. I'm not saying we're perfect at it. I don't believe we are. I'm just saying that I think it's important every now and again for us to all be on, literally on the same page here and look at this, and I want you to all realize whether we may not be perfect at it, but this is what we're going for. And those are six of the values, six of the most influential values of Good News Church. So let's summarize. Combining last week with this week, we want to be a group of people who are committed to love God, love each other, love people who don't know God yet. And as we do that, we want to keep the gospel central. We want to act as a team. We want to be considerate of outsiders We want to be as complex as 500 people are and yet focus on doing just a few things well. We want everybody on the team taking a part. And we want to train people all the way from outsider to fully devoted minister. And my hope and my prayer, and I even prayed this this morning before church, my hope and prayer is that the majority of you upon hearing this will say, I'm in. I will do that. For those of you who've been around for a long time, maybe you'll phrase it something more like, I'm re-in. Like, I'm re-upping. I'm in again. Thank you for the reminder. That's what we want to do. And for those of you who are new, I hope that your reaction is, I'm in. I want to to partner with you all in this place, at this time, in this season of my life, and I'm going to commit to doing that. And I hope that none of you will say, hmm, that's very interesting, Pastor. But my plan is to continue to watch the rest of you do that and not get involved. May that not be. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to share this. I pray that you would work in our hearts. If there's anybody here that it's not a good fit for them, I pray that you would lead them to a church that's the perfect fit for them and that they would get involved and serve you so well and care for those people and reach people who don't know you yet among that group. I pray for the people that are here that have already committed. I pray for some of us that we would be re-reminded and recommit to your mission and these particular values. I pray for people who are new here and maybe they are in like a spectator mode right now because they're just figuring stuff out and that's great. But I pray that that would not last forever. I pray that at some point they would say, no, no, I need to, if I'm going to keep physically coming to this building, I need to be one of them. And so I pray that there would be people who would come all in. And I just, I, I ask God I, that, we, that we would minimize the number of people who would be here and go, no, I think I just want to watch everybody else do it. I pray that that would not happen. We love you. 
We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you have made us saints. Even though we are not good, that you have granted us forgiveness and righteousness, and we are your holy ones that you've set apart for your ministry. That is fantastic. We thank you. We thank you for cleaning us and forgiving us and loving us. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. May we keep it central in our lives and in the life of this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.